0: Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to Barron's Live Market Watch Edition. I'm Mira Jagannathan, the inequality editor for Market Watch, and I'm pleased today to welcome my colleague, Leslie Albrecht, the deputy personal finance editor for Market Watch and our resident philanthropy expert. Welcome back, Leslie, and thanks for being here, and thank you for wearing a similar outfit to me today. (laughs) Thank you,
1: Mira. And yes, I feel like uh, at Market Watch, we write about money, and we're both wearing green sweaters, so that is appropriate.
0: We planned all of this. So giving season is upon us. Can you walk us through some of the big trends right now in charitable giving and philanthropy?
1: Yeah, so it's it's been an interesting time. I don't know if anybody's been paying attention, reading some headlines that we've had on MarketWatch and Barron's lately, but it's a very interesting time for uh, philanthropy and charitable giving. Um, people might have seen recently, for example, Mackenzie Scott, who is the former wife of uh, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos, um, has been giving out a lot of money, and she, since she got divorced from Jeff Bezos, she's actually given out about $8.5 billion, um, which is a huge amount of money in the context of charitable giving in the United States. Uh, in fact, it's more than what the, uh, the Gates Foundation um, gave out in uh, 2019. So, but um, what's also interesting is that Americans collectively gave a record amount of money to charity in 2020. They gave $471 billion. Um, But that stat is actually a little bit misleading. It doesn't really give you the full picture of what's going on in charitable giving, which is that fewer households are actually donating to charity. And this has been a trend for the past about 20 years. Uh, The percentage of households that donate has been going down This is a phenomenon that people refer to as dollars up, donors down, because what's happening is even though the total amount of money being donated to charities in the U.S. is up, the number of households that are giving is declining. And that means that wealthier donors are really driving uh, giving in the U.S. And so just to take one example, like without Mackenzie Scott's donations in 2020, charitable giving by individuals would have dropped by nearly 0.8% according to the Chronicle of Philanthropy. So it's like a very interesting, you know, there's there's a lot going on um, and it sort of speaks to like uh, the influence of billionaires in our culture.
0: Yes. And there's also a lot of need out there right now, right? The pandemic recovery has been super uneven.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, as our readers know well, the, the stock market has been doing Quite well this year, but um, there are still hungry people in the US, and about 9% of households said that they don't have enough food to eat in the last seven days, um, according to the most recent uh, US Census Bureau Household Pulse survey in October. So nonprofits are hurting um, also from the tight labor market and they can't compete with bigger salaries. It's just like other sectors that are seeing problems hiring people. And what that means in the nonprofit world is that they're not able to provide the services that they've been providing. And um, there was a report out this week from the National Council on Nonprofits that talked about the implications of staffing shortages and uh, an official with that organization told a story about how a Montana domestic violence shelter can't serve all the clients that it wants to because they don't have enough staff to do that. So they need donations right now. And now is the time to do it.
0: Well, that leads me to a big question a lot of people probably have. What are some tips for people who want to donate this giving season?
1: Yeah. So I mean, the reason December is called giving season is because it's your last chance to donate to um, so that you can claim that a donation on your and get a tax deduction for it um, so a couple of things basic things that i think people forget about one is don't forget to see if your employer will match your donation um, a lot of people fail to do this and that leaves an estimated four to seven billion dollars on the table each year from uncollected matches that could be collected um, through matching programs so for example, if you work for IBM or Yum Brands, the people behind Taco Bell or KFC, um, Home Depot or McDonald's, those, all those companies will match your donation one-to-one. Um, and that's like a quick and easy way to uh, double your impact. And a lot of, most companies that big have these handy websites. It's very easy, you just go, you submit your donation and then it, it submits it for you and it, and it will match it for you. Um, So that's one thing that's a a key step that people should remember.
0: Gotcha, and isn't there also a temporary uh, tax write-off in effect right now for charitable giving?
1: There sure is, and it's supposed to end at the end of this year. So people should take advantage of it. Um, We just wrote a story about it. And basically the upshot is you can deduct up to $300 or 600 bucks if you're in a couple that files jointly. Um, from your taxable income if you donate cash to charity and you can do this even if you don't itemize. So that's why this is special. Usually if you want to um, claim a deduction for a charitable contribution, you have to itemize. But right now for a limited time only, the government is letting you do this without itemizing. And this is called an above the line deduction. Um, So it means you claim it on top of your standard deduction, which as you know, under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act a couple of uh, went up substantially. So if you're going to take advantage of this, uh, of the $300 deduction, I would I have a couple tips for you about that, which is one, keep the receipt or some kind of written acknowledgement of the donation because you are supposed to have paperwork to back it up. And also this tax break only applies to cash donations. So it doesn't apply to donations of property. Like if you donate your car to a charity and it doesn't include donations of stock, Um, And it also has to be to a qualified charity. It doesn't count if you send the money to a donor advised fund. Um, And actually our tax reporter, Andy Kishner, wrote about this tax break this week. And there's a very handy link in the story that uh, links to an IRS page where they really go into detail about all the nitty gritty.
0: Gotcha. Wasn't there a case in 2020 where people actually donated to something called the Black Lives Matter Foundation and it actually wasn't affiliated with the legit movement?
1: Yes, so that's this a good reminder to that when you're donating to charity, just in general, you really need to make sure that it's one that's registered with the IRS. Um, so that's the case if you want to get that tax break that we just talked about. But it's also the case if you want to um, make sure that you're you're donating to a legit group. Um, so yeah, in 2020, there was a famous case where. People thought they were donating to the Black Lives Matter Foundation, um, which they were, but it was actually, it turned out, it was not a group that was affiliated with the actual Black Lives Matter movement. Um, So people were uh, not pleased when they found that out, but I think most of them got their money back, as I recall.
0: Well, that's good. Another tip that I have heard from nonprofit folks around this time of year is sort of a reminder to keep caring and keep giving once giving season is over because obviously they get a flood of support around this time of year um, as people are thinking about their taxes and people are feeling more generous just because of the season um, and then they sort of drop off in the new year um, but obviously a lot of these issues require sustained money and so over the course of the year. Um, and I know that you've written before that a multi-year commitment to a nonprofit can make a huge difference for them right?
1: Yeah, sure. It comes down to like basic financial planning for these nonprofits. If they can count on your donation that's going to be happening over the next three years, it really helps them do long-range planning. And it really can like give, give organizations some breathing room to do the work that they're trying to do if they can plan ahead that way.
0: I think that we may have lost Leslie temporarily, um, but I did want to add to what she was saying uh, that if you can volunteer expertise in some financial area, whether that's you know financial, legal, accounting, there's Leslie again, I'm gonna finish my sentence so. um Marketing, fundraising, logistics, anything else, um, a lot of nonprofits are working with really limited staffing right now, um, as we mentioned before, and could really use the help. So just take a look at their website or give them a call. Um, welcome back, Leslie. Um, I could not hear you while you dropped off, but I wanna lead us into our next question, which is, Um, about giving circles, which is another form of philanthropy I've heard about. Can you sort of explain to everyone what those are?
1: Yeah, this is a cool option. This is also something you can do if you don't have a lot of money yourself. Um, But it's also something anybody can do with any amount of money. Basically, it's where you give as part of a group of people. You get together with some friends or people who like share some common interest or purpose and you pool your money and then you decide where to donate it. Um, And it's a really cool way to give because what it does is it helps you like establish connections with other people and strengthen your bonds in your community, but also do good at the same time. And you can make a much larger donation and a much larger impact with your giving when you pool your resources in that way.
0: That's awesome. Um, Now racial justice has also been at the forefront of a lot of people's minds, especially in the wake of George Floyd's murder in 2020. you wrote about donating to Black led Giving Circles last year. What are some other ways that people can advance racial justice with uh, charitable donations?
1: Sure, sure. Um, Yeah, I talked to a few experts about how to do this, and one one suggestion was to give to a Black-led giving circle. But also, um, one basic tip is to just give to a nonprofit that's actually founded or led by a Black leader. Um, And you can actually find that on, there's a whole website where you can go find um, organizations that fit that description. It was called Give Black, Give B-L-C-K, but I think they actually just changed their name to The Giving Gap. Um, or at least I got a little press release saying that the other day. Um, and then another thing you can do, excuse me, <clears throat> is um donate to nonprofits that support Black entrepreneurs or small businesses or Black owned businesses. Um the there's one that does uh, a group that does that is called Common Future. And the person who heads that organization uh told me that he's seen research that shows that um a, one way to close the, a better way to to close the racial wealth gap is to promote black-owned businesses. Um, he he was comparing it to, I think, um, acquiring real estate as as a way to close the racial wealth gap. Anyway, the point is that like it, that's a that's a way to make a difference in people's lives. Um, and then another thing you can do is make donations that are unrestricted um, or for general operating support. And what that means is. You give the money to the organization, and you don't tell them what you're. They need to do with it. Um, what they have to do with it. Uh, this is called. This is a tr- uh, Sorry, a trend in philanthropy that's called trust-based philanthropy, and it's kind of like a new idea where um, that sort of upends the traditional power dynamic in philanthropy, where the wealthy donor would um, donate to a group, but then dictate dictate the terms of their do- donation and say that they have to use the money in a certain way. Um, and this was done previously because donors were concerned, like they wanted to make sure that their money was being well used. But it sort of resulted in this situation where maybe they were you know, telling organizations too much about how to use the money. So now the new idea is to just hand the money over, trust that the organization is going to use it.
0: I could see that being an issue for nonprofits that like really do have a big admin budget. But then donors are telling them, I don't want you to use this for any of that. I want it to go to direct service or something like that. Yes. Um, So our friends at Barron's uh, ran a story last month on how a lot of people with a high net worth are setting up donor advised funds uh, in part for the tax breaks. So what are donor advised funds or DAFs and um, who should be using them?
1: Yeah, um, that was a really good story in Barron's actually. Um, So a donor advised fund, um, which is a, a very... Um, clunky phrase um, is it's just an account that where you set money aside to, for charity um, and you uh, financial advisors really like them because um, what they allow the person who sets them up to do is claim an immediate tax deduction for that year that they set up the donor advised fund, um, but you can decide later where to send the money from that account to the charities. Um, or like which charities to fund. So if you have money that you want, you know you want to donate it and put it to a good cause, but you're not exactly sure where to donate it yet, you can set up a donor advised fund, put the money in there and decide later where to send it. Um, so people, uh, it's a popular option, especially for like donating appreciated stock um, because you can do, uh, avoid capital gains taxes on those. And um, you can set them up either through um Companies like Fidelity or Charles Schwab, or through a community foundation, which is a foundation that um, distributes grants in one specific geographic area. So, one uh, classic example is the Silicon Valley Community Foundation. They run donor advised funds for a lot of very wealthy people in tech. Um, And one reason that people like donor advised funds is that they let the donors remain anonymous. The money goes from the donor advice fund to the charity, not from the person to the charity. So if you wanna do your giving anonymously, it's a good option.
0: Gotcha. But there are also a lot of people who do not like DAFs. Is that right? So, you know, some critics say uh, that it's unfair that the account holder gets an immediate tax deduction when they put money into the DAF, but then they don't actually have to, you know, they don't have a deadline for when the money actually has to get distributed to a charity.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. They're actually a pretty controversial uh, charitable giving tool. Um, some people accuse donor advised fund holders of warehousing wealth uh, because there's all this money sitting there on these accounts, but there's no deadline for when you have to distribute it to the charity. Um, it's That's in contrast, to like a, a typical, a traditional charitable foundation. You Every year you have to spend 5% of your assets on grants. Um, and if you don't do that, you get in trouble with the IRS. Um, Donor advised funds don't have a rule like that. There's no deadline for when the money has to go out. So there's actually a bill in Congress right now that would um, try to speed up the timeline for how fast donor advised funds give out their money. Um, And it has support from some major philanthropists including uh, former Enron trader, John Arnold, who's a billionaire and he's an active philanthropist with his wife, Laura Arnold. Um, And the name of the bill is the Accelerating Charitable Efforts Act. Um, So, we've written about it. It's interesting. We'll see where it goes.
0: We will. Um, I want to just quickly remind the audience to submit any questions you have for Leslie about year-end charitable giving. Um, And I want to switch gears a bit. So, it's been a big year for crypto. Um, Can you donate crypto to charity?
1: Um, Yes, Mira, you sure can donate crypto to charity, but what's interesting is that a lot of crypto holders are not even aware that they can do this. Um, Fidelity Charitable did a a survey of crypto investors earlier this year, and more than half, 55%, said they didn't know if they could donate it. So, yes, you can. Um, But there's a couple of things you should know about it before you go about doing it. Um, One is you got to find a nonprofit that actually accepts cryptocurrency, And excuse me, there are not as many do as you would think, um, but a growing number do like Toys for Tots just announced that they're going to accept cryptocurrency. Um, uh, So there are websites where you can go and like find uh, ones that do accept it. Um, And the other thing that's really important to know, I talked to a charitable giving consultant at Fidelity Charitable about this, which is that. Uh, Cryptocurrency is, as we know, it's classified as property by the IRS, not um, as a publicly traded security. So that means that for donations of cryptocurrency over $5,000 in value, the donor needs to get an independent third party appraisal of the value of the donated cryptocurrency uh, to substantiate the tax deduction. Um, And the donor has to pay for that appraisal, so that will run you a few hundred bucks. Um, So if you're going to do that, you need to sort of do some math and figure out. Does the cost of the appraisal, you know, is it worth it when you're thinking about how much total you're going to donate? But people, you know, again, this is like a it's considered a tax smart move on um, on long held uh, cryptocurrency because you can avoid your capital gains tax if you donate appreciated crypto that you've owned for more than 12
0: months. Interesting. Okay, so switching subjects again. Um, You recently wrote about effective altruism, um, which is a term not many people may be familiar with. Can you tell us exactly what that is? Sure. Um, Effective altruism is sort of a movement
1: in philanthropy that's actually really popular in Silicon Valley. And it's this idea that um, it's based on utilitarian philosophy. And basically the idea is that saving and improving human lives is the best use of our resources. So we should give to charities that save or improve the most human lives per dollar. Okay. so um, one example of this concept is that like it costs forty thousand dollars to train one guide dog for a person who's visually impaired in the U.S. But that same amount of money would pay for two thousand people in Africa to be cured of blindness. Um, with surgeries that reverse the effects of trachoma. Um, So that's a clear, like, you know, for just for relatively smaller or for for that amount of money, you can you can really affect a lot of lives versus one life uh, in the U.S. Um, So people some people are really into this idea of giving. And there are groups like GiveWell that evaluate charities and look at them through this evidence based lens and decide um, how effective certain charities are. Um, But some people don't like this style of giving because it really, it kind of, it doesn't really leave room in their minds for like, let's say you wanted to give to some charity that speaks to you personally, like the food bank in your neighborhood or research for a disease that affected a loved one, Um, those would not be considered effective altruism. So they wouldn't fall into uh, that style of giving.
0: But you also wrote about uh, a tool recently that was designed by Harvard researchers that lets people sort of balance those two competing interests, right? Like being effective, quote unquote, with, you know, supporting a cause that's near and dear to their heart.
1: Yeah. So these researchers at Harvard who are who are into effective altruism. They realized that like some people might not be into these kind of philosophical arguments about it. So they invented this thing called the giving multiplier, which is this giving platform where you can go and you split your donation between a charity that's close to your heart and then one that is considered effective altruism. And so basically it lets you give with your head and your heart and, um, they will match your donation. The giving multiplier will match your donation. But they, the more that you give to the effective altruism side of the equation, the, the better your match is. So they're kind of trying to, like, encourage people to do effective altruism. But they're trying to also say, like, it's OK. You can also give to, like, your personal favorite charity, too, at the same time.
0: Hi, I'm interested in trying that. Um, aside from effective altruism, um, how can people sort of make sure their money is going to good use? Do you have any tips for people on, you know, researching the legitimacy of a charity or how they spend their money?
1: Yeah, so one interesting thing about um, giving to charity is that a lot of people don't do any research at all uh, before they hit donate. Um, One survey found that only a third of people research groups on like charity evaluation websites. Um, So I would recommend doing a little reporting if you will, about who you're giving to. Um, one way to do this is there are a lot of charity evaluators. Um, I think a, a really probably the biggest and most, most well known one is Charity Navigator. Um, but there's also Givewell, there's um, the BBB Wise Giving Alliance. Um, there's Candid, there's Charity Watch, there's great nonprofits. And basically all of these groups um, look at nonprofits and give them ratings um, and evaluate them. Some of them, you know, they, they have different styles of like how they evaluate them. Charity Navigator actually just changed its metrics. And now they're really looking at like the impact of charities and how they, they were, they're also looking at like how different nonprofits handled the nonprofit, uh, handled the pandemic. And like, did they do a good job of like surviving the pandemic? Um, so anyway, you could take a look at one of those sites to get a basic idea, but even like, but Aside from that, uh, take some very basic steps, like go to the charity's website and read what their mission is and make sure that it's in line with your goals. Some people just kind of forget to do that when they, because they'll just like see the name of a group and donate really quickly. But, you know, just go and like poke around on their website. And you can also do a Google search to see like what kind of press has been written about a group, Um, you know. Uh, If you are suspicious or you think that they like might be mixed up in some kind of fraud or something like that, you can always look on the secretary of state website where the charity is based. Um, They will have information there if the group has been mixed up in nefarious activities. Uh, And sometimes state level regulators get wind of these kind of like bad bad actors before the IRS does. So that's a good um, way to check out potential fraud.
0: There's some good sleuthing strategies. So getting back to tax smart strategies for the giving season, um, we do have a listener question from Andres who asks, how can I use a traditional IRA to reduce my taxable income? Uh, so I've heard that qualified charitable distributions or QCDs uh, can be a good option for owners of traditional IRAs. Can you talk about those?
1: Yeah, um, this is something that financial, financial advisors will tell you. Um, you have to be a certain age to do it though. So you gotta be 70 and a half, Um, but basically a qualified charitable distribution or QCD, it lets you uh, transfer up to $100,000 from your retirement account account to the charity of your choice. And um, if you're 72 or above, that transfer will satisfy the requirements for your required minimum distribution. Um, So that's good. Uh, the money is also subtracted from your taxable income, so it alleviates some tax burden. Um, it also has, a QCD also has this added benefit of keeping some taxpayers' incomes low enough to avoid Medicare premiums, which are the additional fees that higher income um, people need to pay on top of their regular Medicare fees. Um, so the QCD is something that uh, it can be very useful for folks.
0: Gotcha. I want to hit you with one more reader, not reader question, listener question. Um, and you can let us know what you think. So Mike asks if I can, if I contribute to a donor advised trust and then decide I want to donate to a nonprofit that has to be applied to be 501 C3 C3 with IRS and they are still waiting for approval. Is that okay?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, my hunch, this is my hunch is that, uh, if the 50, if the nonprofit that well actually there's a couple of ideas here one is if they've applied for 501c3 status with the IRS and they haven't gotten it yet um, I would definitely like pause and talk to a financial advisor and make sure that um, you could still get a, a tax deduction for that. But one thing that nonprofits do when they don't have their own 501c3 status is they will um, they'll have a fiscal sponsor, another group that will like um, basically act as a middleman and take in donations for them. So sometimes you can still donate to a nonprofit, even if it doesn't have its own 501c3 status by donating to through a fiscal sponsor. So you could ask the group um, to find out if there's a way that they could do that.
0: All right. Um, We have time, I think, for one last thing to talk about. And this one goes out to all my fellow Succession fans out there. Um, So earlier in the season, cousin Greg, as you know, sued Greenpeace after his grandfather donated his entire inheritance to them um, because uh, he was disappointed that his grandson had allied himself with the conservative family business. But you spoke with experts who said this is actually an example of a larger trend called spite philanthropy and that we've seen this many times before. Can you explain that?
1: Yeah, this is so great. It really fits in with like the upside down world of succession where um, family bonds are not based on love and in succession philanthropy is not based on wanting to like do good and make the world a better place. Um, In this case, Uh, Cousin Greg's grandfather is engaging in a phenomenon known as spite philanthropy, which is defined as um, using philanthropy to with the the direct intent of offending another person or dishonoring another person. This is something that a Columbia University uh, researcher identified as a trend. Um, And it is um, unusual, (laughs) Um, but it does happen. and uh, it's sort of fitting for a show like Succession where where things, um, where it's sort of like this uh, Black Mirror version of the world. But what's interesting is Green Priest actually got a lot of attention out of that plot line and people were visiting their donation page. So maybe, maybe uh, it did some good after all.
0: Maybe there's something to it. Um, So I lied. We actually have more questions. um, And I'm going to ask you right now. So Sean asks, would you comment on the availability and information on form 990s? Also, what is reasonable compensation for people running nonprofits?
1: Ooh, that's an interesting topic. Uh, Well, first of all, form 990s are readily available and you don't have to pay for them. Don't think you have to. They are and if you don't know, a Form 990 is the the tax form that any nonprofit has to submit with the IRS, and it has all the information about um, how much their um, people are paid and what they give out in grants. And you can find them on your state charities registry website um, for free. Also, um, ProPublica has an awesome database where you can look them up. The IRS keeps them, um, so there are many places. The issue of Compensation for nonprofit employees is um, controversial and uh, somewhat charged. Some people think that if you w- work at a nonprofit, you shouldn't make a lot of money because you are devoting yourself to um, your fellow humans. Um, other people think that if you're running a major organization that's making a lot, doing a lot of activity, you should be compensated as well as, you know, the CEO of a tech company. So um, it's controversial.
0: to say the least. Um, we have a listener named Mark who's asking if we can provide the names of the websites that Leslie mentioned for charity evaluations. Um, we will certainly see if there's a way to do that after the session ends. Um, and I think that's basically all the time we have for today. So thank you for being here, Leslie. Um, thank you to the audience for tuning in. And please join us tomorrow, Vas Narsiman, the CEO of Novartis will discuss new initiatives at Novartis and the opportunities and challenges facing the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, He will be talking with Barron's Senior Managing Editor, Lauren Rublin, and healthcare reporter, Josh Nathan-Tazas. Until then, stay healthy and have a wonderful rest of your day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.